0: Amen. Happy anniversary. anniversary. So glad to have you here on our 13th anniversary. It is hard to believe 13 years have passed since that first Sunday at Basha High School. And the Oasis is all about Jesus and all for Jesus. And thanks to God and thanks to all of you, it's been the best 13 years of my life. And I look forward to many, many more as we continue to grow as as a church body. Uh, Just a couple reminders. Uh, First of all, I want to thank Amanda Mason and her team for providing some really great refreshments for us. And you're going to see some beautiful cakes out there between services as well to sort of commemorate and celebrate our anniversary. Next Sunday, obviously, is Easter. And uh, we're going to have everything out on the lawn next Sunday uh, to try to keep as much traffic out there uh, and have a free flow of folks in here. And then I want to remind all of you on Saturday, April the 15th, we're having our next baptism. I would really encourage you to pray about, uh, consider being baptized. Uh, In the Bible, Baptism only occurs after one has come to know the Lord as their Savior. So if you were baptized before you came to know the Lord as your Savior, I would encourage you to be rebaptized. Uh, if you were baptized as a baby, which is not biblical baptism, or you were sprinkled, which is not biblical baptism, I would encourage you to be baptized that Saturday. Maybe you're also at a place in your life where you're just in a new season with God and you want to sort of mark this season, and you want to use baptism to sort of do that as a, as a way of recommitting your walk to the Lord, I would certainly encourage you to do that. I've re-baptized many people over uh, 38 years. So, with that said, if you would like to be baptized, please go out to the information table after the service and sign up. Uh, next Sunday, I know it's Easter, but it is the only Sunday between you know, there and our baptism on the 15th. So I, if you are being baptized, I would just like to meet with you seriously for just like one minute after the service you attend. So if you attend 9, just if you'd stay for just a minute after the 9 o'clock service, if you attend the 11 o'clock service, if you'd just stay for a minute after the 11 o'clock service, that would be awesome. And I'll just run through a few things with you. Luke chapter 17 this morning as we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And this morning's message is entitled All in the Family because Jesus is wanting to establish, if you will, family identity, family identity. You see, every family that you and I are a part of has an identity. Your family has an identity. At some point, whether it was your ancestors or whether it was you or whatever, you established a certain way of this is the way we do family. This is who we are. This is how we relate to each other. These are our values. This is what our family is about. Every family has an identity like that. And Jesus' family is no different. Remember, he is trying to set up his followers for as much success as he can because he knows his time on earth is short. And he knows that the people that he is specifically talking to here are going to be the foundation of this new entity called the church, the body of Christ. What we are a part of today that's been now in existence for 2,000-plus years. In fact, you see that in the fact that in verse 1 of Luke 17, who's Jesus specifically and intentionally speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples, his devoted followers. And though he doesn't come out and say, Hey, this is what I want my family to be about. This is what I want the church to be about. These are some of our values. This is our family identity. Yet in everything that he says, that's exactly what he's doing. He is highlighting certain things that he wants to be part of his family identity, if you will. And it starts with accepting our responsibility for being part of his body. Accepting responsibility. You see, it's a great privilege to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a great honor. It's it's wonderful to be part of the church. (laughs) But in being part of the church, we have to create an environment where all of us realize we have a responsibility, not just to God but to one another. And that's what Jesus begins to talk about. He says, look, he says relationships are going to have problems. He says there's going to be relationships in all of our lives that have negative effects. Either we're going to be a negative effect on someone else or someone else is going to end up being a negative effect and influence upon us. And all Jesus here in these first few verses is saying is, Make sure you're not the negative influence because God doesn't take too kindly to having people who are negative influences in his family. He wants us all to strive to be positive spiritual influences upon one another. And so it's something that you and I have to be willing to say. Am I willing to accept that kind of responsibility in being part of the body of Christ? And not just not being a negative influence, but even about doing our part. Because let's face it, we all are, whether we like it or not, sort of inter, you know, connected to one another through Christ. And if I'm not doing my part, then that's going to negatively affect everybody else in the body so I not only have to be careful and that's why Jesus even says in verse three watch yourselves because it's first instead of pointing the finger at other people in the body and sort of you know being critical of them and what they're doing or what they're not doing Jesus also saying it starts with taking a hard look at ourselves first and saying What kind of influence and impact am I making on this community of believers? Because yes, being a follower of Christ is a very personal thing, but it's also the realization that I'm also part of something bigger than myself. I'm also now part of a community of believers, and I need to understand and accept responsibility that am I a good influence? And then beyond that, am I doing the part within the body of Christ that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I at my post? Am I doing my position? Am I fulfilling my role? Because Jesus teaches us other places as well as other Bible teachers that everyone in his body, everyone in the church has a role to play. And if you're not playing your role or I'm not playing my role, then that negatively affects everybody else. That's why Paul says, are we doing our part? You see, especially in the church today, meaning generally speaking, there's a lot of Christians, at least in name, who come to a church like this, a local church, and they're just spectators. They're not engaged, they're not participating, they're not doing anything. They're just sort of takers who come and receive, but then they go out and they're not doing anything to be a part of the fabric, if you will, of that local church. God wants all of us to be part of the fabric of his body. And that's why... The church is described in the New Testament as Christ's body, using a human body as a great illustration, saying all of us are some part of the body. And therefore, we have to learn to work together and complement and cooperate with each other and be a positive influence on each other and be willing to do our part and accept our responsibility. So the first thing that Jesus lays out is, here's our identity. And the first piece of that identity is, am I willing to accept my responsibility in the community of believers? But then based on that, as Jesus said, look, relationships are going to have issues. They just are, because we're all still, even as Christians, still sinful, right? So Jesus says, offenses are going to happen. Hurts are going to happen. We're going to not necessarily treat each other the way we should at all times, which then brings in the second element of our family identity, And that is that not only do we need to be in an environment where we accept responsibility, but we need to create an environment of forgiveness, where we are a forgiving people, and where forgiveness of one another is something that is just habitually practiced amongst all of us. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so Jesus says, if one of your brothers or sisters does something to you. And they repent. They own up to it. They have a change of heart. What's Jesus say there? He says, forgive them. Release it and let it go. Now, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that because some people have misunderstanding about what forgiveness is. Then Jesus even says to his followers, he says, even if they come back and they sin against you seven times in one day, you must forgive. Because again, his body, his followers are to be a reflection of him. And God unlimitedly forgives us. There's no limit to his forgiveness for us. We could sin a hundred times a day. God still forgives us. He's forgiven us for everything in our past, everything in our present, and whatever we will do against him in the future. There is no, and so Jesus is saying, look, if I forgive you of everything you will do in thought, word, and deed against me, you need to be willing to forgive others. You need to be willing to release that and let it go and move on with your life and not let all the hurts start to cling to you Because then what happens when we as human beings do that, and we see that so much even today, we become victims. We become victims. And Jesus doesn't want us to become that. Now, let's talk about forgiveness. First of all, Jesus is not encouraging his followers to forgive others to let them off the hook for what they've done. Actually, when you and I practice the art of forgiveness, it's it's more about what it does for us, the forgiver, as it ever does for the one who needs forgiveness. I mean, the person who maybe has done something to us that needs forgiveness, they might go on their merry, happy way and be totally unaffected by it. But if we don't forgive them then it ends up being this thing that just sort of hangs over us and hangs around us and begins eventually to drag us down because, again, other people will hurt us and do things to us as well. And if we keep hanging on to all that, eventually we're not able to run the race of life that we should be running because we're all bogged down with all of these hurts and things that we've never let go of. So it's more about us than it is the person who's hurt us. And what God wants us to do is, is basically say, look, I'm not asking you to treat them as if it never happened, or I'm not asking you to trust them to the level maybe you trusted them in the past because maybe they've broken your trust. I'm not asking you that the relationship in its dynamic has to be the same way as it always was. All I'm asking you to do is don't you be the one that sits there in your life trying to scheme and figure out how you can get them back or how you can, you know, turn the tables on them or, or whatever to do that to hurt them like they've hurt you. You just release it and let it go. And trust me that if there's something in their life that needs, you know, disciplined or corrected or all that, I'll, as their God, take care of it. You let it go and trust me to do it. Give place for God's wrath. But don't you take that on forgiveness and all of us if we're part of a a family if we're part of a community of believers brothers we must create an environment where we are continually forgiving each other and just letting things go I'm not saying that there should not be conversations at times in fact Jesus talks about that he says hey If your brother or sister does something that is totally out of line, you need to speak up and say something to them. And regardless of whether they own up to it or not or they have a change of heart, Jesus will still encourage us, forgive. Because it may not affect them at all, but it's certainly going to start negatively affecting your spiritual life. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen. Family identity, accepting responsibility for being part of the community and forgiveness. Well, the response of the disciples are after they hear that they've got to forgive people unlimited, you know, limitlessly, one of the disciples says, Jesus, you've got to increase our faith. <laughs> you got to supercharge our faith. Because we're not there. And, and you know what? I love their honesty. Because yeah. humanly speaking, None of us are going to be able to forgive at that level. It is only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that we let go of things and forgive each other. So the next element we see in our family identity moves from accepting responsibility to creating an environment of forgiveness to creating an environment of faith. To be known as a family of faith. Because notice what Jesus says after they say, well, Lord, you're going to have to supercharge our faith. Jesus says, well, you could have faith the size of a mustard seed. And you could say to that mulberry tree, be plucked out of the ground, which, by the way, a mulberry tree has some of the most strongest roots of any tree. Jesus is saying, even if you have small faith, you could tell that tree to be plucked up and it would come out of the ground. Because Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something very important about faith. It's not the amount of faith. It's the object of our faith. It's not the quantity of our faith. It's the quality of our faith. And Jesus is simply saying, if you have small faith as a community, but you're putting your small faith into a big God, you can move mountains. Because it's not the size of our faith. It's the size of our God. It's who we see our God as being. You see, when you and I have that quality of faith, we will begin to see God work and move supernaturally, and we will see miracles happen. Because again, it's not about us and our size of faith or our quantity of faith. It's about how great of a God do we believe we have. And do we believe we have a God who Nothing is impossible for. That he can do anything, that nothing is too difficult for him. That he is almighty God. That he has all the power in the universe. And he doesn't even need to exert himself in order to change the entire universe if he wants to. I mean, he spoke a word and the entire universe just started coming into being. Nothing, so... How big is our God? And are we expressing our faith continually as a community of believers in how great and how big our God is? We sung about that this morning. And that's really what Jesus wants his family to be known for. The only thing that Jesus ever marveled at, according to the word of God, is faith or lack of it, that's the only thing the Bible ever says Jesus actually, like, whoa, (laughs) was the expression of faith in him or the lack of it. And remember, in order to be faithful, as we've talked about for the last several weeks, you've got to be full of faith. You've got to believe and trust in your God. You've got to believe that he is great enough and big enough and nothing is impossible or too difficult for him. So, again, family identity, accepting responsibility, forgiveness, faith, and out of real, genuine faith comes service, and that's where Jesus goes next. He tells this story to illustrate his point. It's sort of the story of this Servant is out there, and he's working all day, and he comes in from the fields, and, and Jesus is like, do you think when he even he comes in from the fields that it's all about him now? Jesus goes, no. And I don't want to get too sidetracked on the story itself, but I, I want to focus on the principles of what Jesus here is, is really zeroing in on. But what he's saying is, I want a family identity where we're all a bunch of servants, because Jesus is a servant. And again, we are to be a reflection of him. Therefore, we should be a community of servants, but not just any kind of servants. Humble servants, not prideful servants. Not servants who always feel like, hey, I need the light on me. Hey, do you see what I'm doing over here? You know, making sure that we, you know, get all the kudos and all the applause and all that. And we're going to talk in a minute about that, but... But if that's our motivation for serving God is we want people to notice us, then Jesus says, that's not the kind of servants I'm looking for. In fact, many times I'm looking for servants that are doing stuff behind the scenes that nobody else sees, but I see it and I'll reward you. And that comes to the second sort of thing that Jesus here is saying. He's saying, look, aren't we all supposed to be just having this mindset that we're just servants and we're not deserving of any special praise because we're just doing what God asks us to do? And so Jesus says the other thing is that we can't be serving the Lord and then sort of look at him as owing us stuff all the time. Like, well, Jesus, because I did this for you now, what are you going to give me? Jesus is saying, if you're doing what I'm asking you to do, what's the big deal? Shouldn't you want to do what I'm asking you to do anyway without any kind of big hoopla? Shouldn't that be your mindset as one of my servants? Shouldn't my servants look at serving in my kingdom as such an honor and privilege that whatever I ask of them as their Lord that I'm telling them to do or leading them to do or directing them to do, that we do it and we don't expect anything in return because our reward is actually being the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's enough, but let's go beyond that because we all know. That even though we shouldn't expect, we can't outgive God. And God will always reward his devoted servants. He will always bless. He will always pour out his favor. There's always advantages to being a devoted servant of the Lord, but all Jesus is trying to say in this passage is, that's not what you and I should be motivated by is making sure that the spotlight's on us because we're not humble servants. And the only reason we're doing what we're doing is because we expect God to do something for us in return. Isn't the greatest return simply that he allows us to be part of his kingdom and have the honor and privilege to serve him every day? Shouldn't that be the greatest thing about being a servant? Then verse 11. Very short, but it's very powerful. It says that Jesus was on his way now at this point to Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you the next sort of element of our family identity, and then I want to talk about it for a moment. Living with purpose. Being part of a community where we're all living with purpose and where even as a church, we have a purpose And it's going to be a unique purpose because, again, every family's different. Every family looks different. And the Oasis Church's purpose that God has laid on our hearts is going to look different than other churches. And that's why we're not going to be a church for everybody. But for those that God is leading here and for those that are looking for a family identity like this, then this is the place for them. And they can find it here. Why do I say living with purpose? Because throughout the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that Luke constantly is reminding us of is that even though Jesus is here and there and everywhere, he always had his eye towards Jerusalem because that was always the goal. That's what he came here for. Ultimately, it was, I'm going to Jerusalem because that's where I'm ultimately going to fulfill the Father's will for my life. I've got to get to Jerusalem because I've got to die on a cross there and shed my blood and sacrifice myself for the sins of the world. Therefore, he was always pointed to Jerusalem. He lived every day with such directed purpose. He knew where he came from, why he was here, and where he was going. And Jesus wants all of his followers, including churches, to have that same mentality. We know whose we are. We know who we, who we came from and where we came from. We know what we're about, and we know where we're going. We are living with purpose, and too often in our society today, both with churches and with Christians, there are so many who are living without directed purpose, and you know why we know that? Because then we operate like the children of Israel who were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. We wander. That's how different it is. If you're not living with directed purpose, then you have no aim, you you have no goal, you have no direction to your life. You and I wake up every day and, and, and we just sort of wander and try to just sort of bump around and figure it out. And that's what they did for 40 years because they weren't living with purpose. They were purposeless people. And their 40 years of wandering was a great illustration of that. God doesn't want us to live that way. He doesn't want us to live as wanderers. He wants us to live like Jesus who got up every day and knew what his purpose was in the Lord and woke up with that purpose every day. He he knew, I have a reason for being here. I love what Mordecai said to Esther. Maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Do you recognize, Esther, what your purpose is? God elevated you to be the queen of Persia so that you could intervene for his people in this very strategic time. Folks, all of us have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is our time, and we've got to seize the opportunity and live with purpose, and we've got to do so as a church. So that's why we've clearly defined here at the Oasis Church, we have two pillars, worship and the word. We want every ministry to be about worship and the word. That's what our Sunday services are about worship and the word. That's what our Wednesday service is about worship and the word. Because we're going to focus and we're going to be very simplistic. We're not going to be a church that's program centered, that has a lot of ministries and things going on program wise. Because I have felt from day one that God wanted me to lead our church to be more people oriented than program oriented to where the church doesn't have to have a hundred different programs going at every time and try to fit people into all these different programs. That what God wants us to be about is to build each other up, to edify one another, and to build us up as the people of God. And then if God is leading you to do something, my goodness, you go do it, but you don't need to run it through the church. You just be who God wants you to be. That prevents the church from trying to accommodate every last person that comes in off the street to the church, and that also prevents the poor people in the church from trying to fit into a mold that's already been created that somehow they've got to fit into that maybe you don't fit into. This is what the Oasis is about. Now, again, that may not be for you. That may not be your cup of tea. That that may not be, you know, what you want your church family to be about, but that's our identity. And that will continue to be our identity till I go to be with Jesus. I I can't help what happens after I'm out of here. But I hope, like Jesus, that we as leaders will create such a identity that this is who we are, that even after some of us go to be with Jesus, it's still going to be like that. Because that's what Jesus was thinking. Jesus is like, I'm getting ready to go to heaven, guys and gals. I'm not going to be here anymore. I need to instill in you who I want my family identity to be with my followers so that when I go back to heaven and you start the church, this is who you are. You are a people who accept responsibility for being part of my body. You are a people who forgive one another. You are a people who express faith. You are a people who serve me, and look at serving me as a privilege and an honor, and you are a people who live with directed purpose. One more. In verses 11 through 19, Jesus gives the story of these 10 lepers that he was going through Samaria and Galilee, and these 10 lepers, obviously ostracized from society, cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Heal us, because to be a leper meant you could not participate in any spiritual things. You couldn't be part of the community of believers. You had to keep your distance, and you couldn't be part of really even a family at all. You were a loner. You were isolated. And they obviously wanted healing physically because it was a very painful Awful disease. And Jesus says, You go to the priest. Why is Jesus telling them to go to the priest? Because it would be the priest that would actually be able to have the power and authority and to give them the permission to rejoin society, if you will. That was the rule. If the priest said, yes, you are cleansed of this, then you can start coming to services again. You can start engaging with people again. So Jesus is saying that. And you'll notice something in the word of God there. It says, as they went their way, they were healed. In other words, Jesus didn't heal them. He wanted to see, will you trust me? Will you express faith in me? Will you believe in me? And so the Bible says, as they went their way, they were cleansed. But here's where the story gets really interesting. The Bible says one of the ten was like struck. And it says he turned back and he gave praise to God. And when he got back to Jesus, it says he threw his self down to the ground with his face to the ground and he thanked him. You know what the final element of family identity that Jesus wants to instill in his people? Worship. This man came back to worship Jesus. He wanted more than a healing. He had already been healed. In fact, so had the other nine. And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, uh, weren't there 10? Where are the other nine? You know what that tells us? Jesus knows who's unthankful and who's thankful. Jesus knows who's grateful to him for what they have and who's not. Jesus knows who appreciates and who doesn't show appreciation. He knows. Are we thankful, grateful, appreciative, and is that expressed in our praise and thanksgiving and worship of God? Folks, this man wanted more than a healing. He wanted Jesus. That's what he wanted because the other nine had been healed. He could have just went on his merry way too and they would have all been healed physically. But he wanted more than just physical healing. And let me say this at this point. It shouldn't matter to us even if Jesus doesn't heal us. He's still worthy of worship. And if if he does choose to worship us, he absolutely is worthy of worship because he's always worthy of our worship. And all of us, he wants to be part of a community where when he's healing and when he's not healing, and by the way, he's healing in our community and he's not healing in our community. But in either way, Jesus wants the community of believers to be a place where we want more than the healing. We want Jesus. That's the most important thing. He's the most important thing. Whether he heals us or not, whether he answers our prayer the way we want him to or not, the way he works, the way we want him to or not, all of it, the the bottom line is the most important thing to all of us is we just want more Jesus. We want to see him more. We want to hear him more. We want to worship him more. We want to learn about him more. We want to make it all about him. That's what we want. That's what we want our family to be about. I don't know what would be better than to be part of a local church where all of us just want more of Jesus. I think that would be a pretty special place. And that's what this one man did. And by the way, he was a Samaritan. Why does Jesus throw that in there? Because that means that like many of you, you didn't grow up with a spiritual foundation. You didn't come from a long line of Christians and all of that. And yet he's showing more appreciation than those Jews who had all of this tradition and all of this spiritual foundation behind them. And many times, sad to say, that's the way it is that sometimes many people who grew up, it's almost like we take for granted that background that is ours through our family lineage and family ancestry, and somebody who comes in off the street who has had none of that is so thankful and appreciative and grateful for what they have in God because they didn't grow up like that, and they didn't have that. It doesn't have to be that way, but it certainly was true even in this story as well with the Samaritan. Don't miss his posture. He came back, gave praise to God, threw himself on the ground with his face to the ground and thanked him. That's worship. In fact, can I say this? I love it when we're worshiping God and when we're expressing and we're exuberant and we're enthusiastic. That's great worship, but do you know what the highest level of worship is? When we are, our heart is so affected by God that we can't do anything. We can't say a word because there's nothing adequate that can come to our minds that can come out of our mouth. And our heart is just sort of It's just stopped in its track. There's nothing. We're just froze. The greatest worship is actually just silence before God because we have nothing to do or nothing to say. We're just in awe. Oh. Every family has an identity, every church has an identity. And Jesus was getting ready to leave and go back to heaven. And he's saying, guys and gals, you're going to be the ones to carry on this identity in my body, the church. I want to tell you right now, this is what my desire is. I want a family that accepts responsibility for being part of what they're part of. I want a family that's creating an environment of forgiveness. I want a family that's creating an environment of expressing our faith in a great God. I want an environment where we are serving, serving because it's simply the greatest privilege and honor to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want an environment where we're all living with directed purpose. And I want an environment of worship, of true worship, of enthusiastic, exuberant worship but also sometimes just silent worship where we stand in awe and wonder of our God. That's who I want us to be as well because I believe that those are the values of our Lord Jesus. And therefore, if we're following him, they need to be our values as well. They need to be what we're known for as his people because we are to be a true reflection of him. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come now. And I'm going to ask all of you, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are here with us today, the God of the universe, the transcendent God, bigger than the universe that you've created. And yet, Lord, even with all of our technology and our telescopes, Lord, we can't even begin to get to the end of your vast universe. And yet, God, you're greater and bigger than that which you've created. And yet, God, in your humility, in your condescension, you have come down in a very measurable and tangible way to just Squeeze yourself into this little auditorium and be here with us today. And we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that what you have shared with us today through our time of worship and our time in the word, God, would truly be life-altering, life-affecting, life-transforming. And that God, more than anything else, What we came here to your house for today was more than a healing. We came here for Jesus. More than anything else, Lord, that's what we want. We want you, Jesus. Nothing else, just more of you. We want to hear you more, see you more, feel you more. We want to learn about you more. We want to grow in you more. We want to pursue you more. We want to exalt you more and worship you more and praise you more. We want it to be all about you, Jesus. Help us to do that. God, thank you for these wonderful 13 years because in it you have shown your faithfulness and your glory. It's all been because of you. And however, Lord, long you have for us here on this earth, may it always at the Oasis Church be all about you. And all for you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.